Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. I'm your host, William Lou. This being Tuesday, I'm joined by my dear friend, Blake Murphy, who has his own drop. Blake Murphy. What's going on, boy? Not much, man. Still, uh, still reeling from Scott Foster night. I got my Scott Foster jersey on order. Uh, hoping to get a, a game worn and signed one. You know, that's what we, that's what we tuned in for. You know, like I think the biggest <laughs> uh-huh. difference between you and I in terms of how we approach things, approach coverage on Twitter is like you got to do a lot to get me to tweet about the officiating in a yeah. game. Scott Foster did all that and more. Yeah. No, I feel like for you, all they have to do to get you to tweet about the officiating is like there to be a one free throw attempt difference. Um, there was a play in the third quarter where Bruce Brown went across Fred's body to get the steal. And they did not call that a foul. But then later on in the quarter, I think Gary was pressuring the ball with less contact. And they did call the foul. And... For me, I'm just like, that's all it takes. That That's all it takes. No, I mean, look, listen, the officiating was really bad last night. Um, uh, to be honest, the Raptors played one of their best games of the season last year. Um, and it is very disappointing that it was spoiled at the end. Let's just get through the controversy first. Um, okay, for me, the one call I disagreed with when I look back on all of it, because the rest of them, at least I understand what was going on. I really disagreed with the foul call on Jakob recovering to Aaron Gordon under the basket. That was, at the time, the Nuggets were up one. Um, they had reversed the ball down low to Gordon. Yak was there in position to help and recover. There was a power dribble from Aaron Gordon to try to go up strong, and Yakaproto stands up straight with his hands up. They called a foul on that play. It wasn't Scott Foster. It was a baseline official. Um, and not only did that give the Nuggets the chance to go up three with Gordon's free throws, But, of course, that's also when Scott Foster decided to eject Scotty Barnes, which turned it from a uh, potential just three-point game, which is still one possession, to four points for Denver. That's the one I disagree with the most. When you watch back on the film, what what are your takes on some of the the foul calls that were made last night? That's a tough one. Um, You know, I certainly – I lean in your direction. I think with a lot of the calls that end up getting challenged, a lot of these so-called 50-50 calls, we call them 50-50 calls for a reason. It's because they're bang-bang and – Honestly, in some cases, it's eye of the beholder, right? Like even the the Jokic one where hand is part of the ball, people were unsure about uh, that one getting uh, overturned. There was one the other night um, with OG's like level of physical defense where I don't think in the spirit of the rule, it should be a foul. But once they call it a foul, how can you overturn it? So yeah, I, I think yeah. with a lot of these challenge calls and part of my argument for why the challenge could probably just go away and we can stop with these long delays. Is that like coach success rate is just a little under 50% on coaches challenges mm. and they're 50, 50 calls. So um, no, I, I, my gripe lies entirely with the Scotty Barnes ejection. Um, one technical, which is, is rare enough. Um, and then to hear the team 
talk about it after. I mean, Scotty Barnes saying he was just talking to himself, even if you don't believe that all the way. The reaction of the other official, the reaction of Mike Malone and Mike Malone's comments after the game mm. where he was basically like, yeah, we got pretty lucky down the stretch. Um, Salute to Mike, man. It's like, I know it's, uh, I know honesty. complaining about the officials is like the the least insightful thing you could do because you can't control it and mm-hmm. we're supposed to focus on all the stuff you can control late in a game or to keep yourself out of that situation. We can go through the late second quarter where they kept coughing the ball up or whatever. Um, but that is one, like, yes, yeah, Scotty Barnes in that situation has to learn to, you know, not blow up a referee like that. A referee's job is to maintain a cooler head about those things and manage the intense late game situations anyway. I, I just thought it was uh, a little bit of an over-the-top ref show. And yeah, Scotty's gotten a little bit of a reputation as a guy who lets the refs hear it, but to eject him after, like, without a second tech mm-hmm. and away from the official, like, not in his face, not clapping, and then... You know, we we get the this incredible reaction out of it from the other ref. The yeah. the triple take. <laughs> He's like, really? Um, He's like, I know you're Scott Foster, but really? Yeah. yeah. So I don't know a- any of the calls. Like, whatever you can agree with them, you could disagree with them. Mm. Those things happen, but the game management side of it, and the fact that both teams by the end, and both coaches talk about it after the game, like you can't have player, coach, and fan fatigue with unofficial by the end of a game like that, that for 46 and a half minutes was an unbelievable game. Yeah. Um, I don't really want to just belabor the point on the officiating. I, I really want to think about this game in terms of how the Raptors can improve because the Raptors played really well and it really did just, just uh, they didn't close out the game and, and you could point out to the officials or you could point to themselves or whatever for not closing out on the game. I think my point on the officiating is just like, do you think the Raptors complain too much? Yeah. Do you think Nick Nurse complains too much and that leads to the rest of the team? Because that's what I'm, that's my impression on this. I have a friend who is an official who is, you know, in the same circles as most of the NBA officials. And the conclusion I got from this conversation was Nick Nurse probably is the most hated coach in the league based on how much he complains. I don't know if, like, we'd have to watch every other team at that same level. Like, no, I hear you. Mike Boonholzer is constantly yeah. turning purple. Of course. Eric, you know, uh, Eric Spolstra is also a guy who gets on the refs and stuff like that. That's part of the, the, the coach's job. And However, it does seem to stand out with Nick. I'm just going to say it. It does. And part of it is the, you know, there is a facial reaction component. That goes with it as well. It's not. He does have a lot of gifs. If you search Nick yeah, Nurse gifs, uh, he's a very yeah. emotive person. Sure, um, it's tough. So I, I would be okay with a coach having that if the if what the clear edict was was guys, I've got your back. Let me talk to the officials. Yep, yep. Let me be the one complaining to them. Let me eat the fines and the texts and stuff like that. You guys just focus on the basketball. But that hasn't really been the case. And this is. I don't know how much of it to hang on, you know, Nick Nurse alone or, or no, for sure, the times for sure. it comes to Scotty Barnes because this goes back to, like, after the shine wore off in 2013-2014 of, oh, the Raptors are good and fun. Like, it did not take long for the rest of NBA fans to be like, wow, Kyle and DeMar and Dwayne Casey whine a lot. Sure. Like, they were close to the top of the league in complaining to the referee and close to the top of the league in technical fouls most years. So, mm. um 
this is not new around Toronto. It's a little weird that through multiple stars and cores and coaching staffs, this has been a you kind of a this constant. Is Raptor, this is Raptor culture? Yeah, yeah. this okay. is, uh, yeah, the um, in, the inferiority complex of Toronto basketball wears itself. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I think Nick could probably do a better job of it. But if not that, they all have to collectively do a better job of, hey, He's the guy talking to the refs. Yeah. It's like the, you know, wearing the C in hockey, right? You're the only guy allowed to complain yeah, to the yeah. refs. No, that's uh, it's like I, that I got in soccer so as well. I got that's... so much runway out of that. Yeah. Of no, no, no. I'm allowed to complain and call you names because sure. I'm the one guy that's designated to get in your ear. Um, no, I, I just think they could do a better job handling that and, and making sure that it's not a team wide thing. If there's gonna be a squeaky wheel, it's one squeaky wheel and everything's directed through that no, that's the thing though because i think there's there's been a lot of frustration throughout the season overall um but i think the way you're watching it right now i'm just like look the raptors need every margin right mm-hmm. so don't take these texts and you need more discipline just overall across the board and i do wonder if if the coach is sort of the setting the tone with sort of the harpy on the officials then how do you then turn to a guy like scotty and say hey you got to control yourself in that moment I, no matter how unfair it is right because of course the coach is like you're the one who's actually doing most of the complaining most of the time. You see it with Fred as well. You see it with Pascal as well. A lot of the times these guys will drive in and they won't get the call and they'll complain. I mean, again, some of that's just standard stuff. We watch enough basketball to see that. But, I mean, yeah, I think that is the one point that I want to sort of look at in certain just can the Raptors improve from this scenario? Because, look, obviously Scott Foster is one of those guys, right? He's not afraid to make that call. I think most referees in that moment would just let that slide, would let that go. And obviously, as a Raptors perspective, we would have preferred for that to happen. But there are also certain guys in the league you just don't cross. You don't you, you do not do that to Scott Foster. Like, he, his reputation is really, really solid in terms of he will throw you out in that moment. Oh, yeah. That, no, that's sorry. all I'm Solid saying. in terms no, of consistency. Solid in yes. terms of consistently just being, you know, a hard ass, basically. And then he will do this to you. Um, here's here's th- a weird that's part of learning the league though for sure I mean? and and here's a weird stat for you and this is where when we get into these things you know it's really hard to parse out how much is Raptors specific or how much the Raptors are in the extreme versus we just watch eighty two Raptors games yeah, really intensely for sure for sure um, the Raptors are tenth in the league in technical free throws that they've given an opponent mm, okay but. They're only minus two on the year. Like when you look at tech free throws, okay. they've only taken two fewer than they've given away. It's 42 to 40. Okay. All right. um, and that to give you context of 42 to 40, uh, Golden State, Minnesota, and Milwaukee have all given away 55 to 60 technical free throw attempts. So Raptors are top 10 and they're like two thirds of the way to Golden State, Minnesota, and Milwaukee. Those teams all have guys that I'm like, yeah, I, I know. I, they, I could see them taking techs. You know? Yeah. Like Golden State with Draymond and some of that, and Steve Curry as well. But yeah, and no, then I mean, you've got Budenholzer in Milwaukee, and yeah, I don't know. But I, I assume Bobby Portis has a dozen because every time I see a Bobby Portis clip, it's him looking like he's about to choke slam someone. There is a there is a great Bobby. Um, I remember back when you and I were at the score and we were doing news aggregation, and we would essentially <laughs> what that John. Is remember. this the mom thing? Yeah. <laughs> so um, our our job was to like when news broke. From other people, we would like write it into our own news story and, and package it up. I mean, listen, it's standard stuff across the industry. Um, there was one day where I was reading the Chicago Tribune, and yeah, um, Bobby Portis, who was a bull at the time, was like explaining why he looks so intense and plays so intense. And he's just like, Yeah, before every game, I envision my opponent has just punched my mom 
and therefore I have to get revenge. And I was like, wow, this is a this is certainly one approach towards playing sports. Yeah. Anyway, you, you know what the best revenge is if someone punches your mom? Seventeen foot jump shots. <laughs> He's like, bang in your eye. Um. <laughs> anyway, um, I thought so. Okay, look, the officiating was was obviously the biggest story. I think, um. To Nick's credit, to Nick's immense credit, he did a great job of scheming for the game last night because Jokic, once again, just was very quiet, um, very innovative coverage where the Raptors continued to stick OG Anobi on Nikola Jokic. That's been a matchup that OG has played really well in in the past. Obviously, the Raptors didn't have centers in the past, so mm-hmm. you, f- you felt like that was maybe a compromise, but he did so well in that matchup that the Raptors, even with Yaka Proto in town, still stuck with that matchup. They had to put Yak on Aaron Gordon, and then they put... Scotty on Jamal Murray, very unorthodox coverage, but I think it worked really well. And Jokic, who leads the league in touches, I felt like he couldn't even touch the ball that much last night. What did you make of the Raptors' defensive strategy? Why did Nick go to it, and how do you think OG did in that matchup? I think OG did great, first of all. Um, We can go back over the last couple of games, and I think it's something like 150 uh, estimated possessions. And the NBA tracking data isn't great for who guarded who possession to possession, so take this with a grain of salt. However, if we were looking at those 150 defensive possessions over the last four games on DeRozan, Beal twice, and Jokic, those guys only took 18 field goal attempts over 150 possessions with OG guarding them. That is like those are, I mean, DeRozan and Beal are shooted every time you get it with an inch of breathing room and Jokic has shown us Bradley Beal. Yeah. And Jokic has games where he only has four or five field goal attempts. um, But usually those are the games where he has like 17 or 18 assists and a whole bunch of free throws. He had six free throw attempts last night and actually didn't get a triple double. He only had nine assists. Mm. That's a, it's a pretty remarkable thing to do. And I think um, the best thing that you can control as a as a team defense and as a defender is, you know, the stuff that doesn't happen, right? Like with centers, with guys like Jakob Pertl, Daniel Gafford, who we saw a couple times, you could take a look after the sample's big enough at how you protect the rim and how you help keep opponents away from the rim. But we don't really subscribe to defensive field goal percentage for perimeter defenders, point of attack defenders, even even larger wing defenders. It's just too noisy, and you don't know the switching and stuff like that, um, whose assignment is what. But I think you watch a game like last night, you watch this last bit, and you could go back to the Bojan game against Detroit, too, where the Raptors didn't play very well. But I think Bojan had 11 points in that game mm-hmm. in, this, in a stretch of like 25 and 30-point performances. Yep. And it was because... OG took him out to the extent that when Jaden Ivey got hot, they didn't put OG on him. They brought Jeff Doughton in uh, to, to try to guard that because the OG on Boyan thing was, was working so well. Um, and thankfully OG actually had a, a good offensive night last night too. So, mm-hmm. um, cause that's kind of been the weird thing is like there, there've been a couple games lately where do you, can you close with OG given the way he's shooting the ball and stuff like that? But the defense is so obvious anyway, all that's to say that I think, Keeping guys from having their presence felt is the best thing you can do as an individual defender. Um, I thought it made a lot of sense to, in some order, line up OG, Scotty, and Jakob Pertl on Jokic, Aaron Gordon, and Michael Porter Jr. That way you can, you're can you comfortable switching any of those pick and rolls. Jamal Murray is the only spot you're not really comfortable mm-hmm. uh, switching there, which... You you probably honestly could have put like if Jakob was having a lockdown game on Jokic, OG's probably your best bet on Jamal Murray too. Yep. Um, 
but you only have one OG, unfortunately. Anyway, I, I thought it was smart the way it lined up. I thought Denver, some of Denver's counters in terms of having Jokic in screening action before he got the ball so that maybe he could get the switch and get a post entry with Pirtle on him, where mm-hmm. Pirtle's obviously a good defender, but not nearly as risky to poke a ball free or, um, you know, maybe doesn't have that quite that same level of chemistry with um, you know, OG and Fred have this really good chemistry where when OG's defending in the post, I think he can all, him and Fred can almost like non-verbally communicate when that dig down's coming mm. and that, you know, they kind of feed off of each other that way. Um, I thought overall it, it was a, a pretty well-structured um, defensive game plan, especially until uh, the late stages when Jamal Murray just kind of got too hot like what what are you going to do with it i know michael porter jr and and a couple other guys uh hit some very difficult shot reggie jackson had a couple difficult shots too but i don't think you can complain too much uh on a night when gary Trent jr is hitting some of the shots that he hit too yeah uh so overall i i know that it's like it's 118 to 113 so that doesn't scream good defensive game this is the best offense in basketball that we've seen like yeah, yeah statistically like maybe ever um so to limit the likely three-time mvp to eight field goal attempts six free throw attempts nine assists given what he's done this year i, I think is is pretty special yeah um i went through the matchup data on the game and oj and guarded Jokic for 41 possessions last night Jokic shot one of three against og with five assists and three turnovers that's like that's absurd. You spend the whole game being the primary Jokic defender, and he made one shot against you, right? Yeah. And and that's not to say OG was shutting him down and pulling the chair and doing all the other stuff. Like, no, it wasn't like that. And of course, Jokic does have this mode where if he gets overplayed like this, he will distribute. But as you mentioned, still single digits and assists, and also the fact that you know I just thought OG did a great job, and it's not the first time we've seen games where OG has had seven steals. While guarding Jokic at times, the yeah, other times one of my favorite games I've ever been at. And unfortunately, it was right as the world ended. Oh um, yeah, it's the last game I ever saw. You were at Ball <laughs> Arena for that one. Yeah, oh um, wow, that was great. By the way, to your point, I just looked up the stats. So, um, Jokic averages fifty-three front court touches per game mm-hmm. and four and a half seconds of of uh, sorry, four and a half minutes rather of possession time. That was down to forty-three and three and change last night. Yeah. So, um, you know, he got about eighty percent of the of the usage in the half court from a touch perspective that he normally gets. I know a 20% drop maybe doesn't sound like a lot, but this is a guy who touches the ball in the front court way more than any other player in the entire NBA. Yeah, and he should, especially for that Nuggets team, because obviously he is the primary creator. Yeah, no, I thought he did a great job. And I think that, you know, maybe in, in the rematch, because the Raptors will play Denver in Toronto next week, I think that's where the Raptors can look to tighten up a couple of things. I thought Pascal lost Michael Porter Jr. for a couple of threes. I thought Jakob Pearl didn't really handle the matchup with Aaron Gordon the best in the sense that Aaron Gordon got five offensive rebounds and stuff like that. So there are things to clean up, but I do think that Denver will also make some adjustments. I also thought offensively the Raptors actually operated quite well. So defensively, the Raptors' whole defense strategy last night was focused on Jokic. Offensively, kind of the same deal. The Raptors ran middle pick and roll against Nikola Jokic over and over and over again. And I thought that overall, look, Jokic plays standard drop coverage. He's not coming up to contest a lot of these shots. Um, But I thought just overall watching the Nuggets, their on-ball defense was not very good. Guys will consistently get screened. They would consistently not be able to be in the play. And it's a two-on-one. And Fred was just feeding Jacoperto over and over again. Um, And I looked at the numbers. Fred has 22 assists to Jacoperto in the seven games since they played together. (laughs) That's that's three assists per game to Jacoperto. And you know they're all layups. So Fred is feeding him three assists per game. Um, the reason he, there's only seven games, obviously, because Fred missed three of those games uh, with the paternity leave. But 
Yeah, that, that's amazing. And that middle pick and roll is working really well. What are you seeing from that combination between those two? I like that combination a lot. It's something that, you know, there's a there's a figuring out period here and, and there are some trickle-down effects of going to more Fred Jakob pick and roll. And I'm curious to hear your take on, you know, to what degree that's affecting Pascal maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Scotty Barnes, his usage as a screener has obviously cratered he's driving more and and passing out of drives more which which is good to see um there's a weird his finishing has dropped off maybe it's just random maybe him and pearl haven't finished figured out the spacing yet um but in terms of the fred yaka pick and roll yeah it's working really well i think we're seeing that you know for a couple years now we've wondered when fred has some of his more dribble heavy offensive games mm-hmm. um is it a function of the offense and what this offense needs him to do would it look better with a natural pick and roll partner it's part of why you and i talked a lot early in the season about let's see scotty barnes more as a screener because let's see if he could be that screen and roll yep. partner for whether it's fred or pascal or whatever um you're seeing it pretty naturally with yaka but i think we've known that fred has those pocket passes in his repertoire he's now also got that you know he's flashed a little bit of that is he going up for a mid-range jump shot or is that going to be an over-the-top pass to a right. rolling Jakobert? It's the old DeMar JV of, is this a missed field goal? Is it a pass? I don't really know, but either way, we're getting two points out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's great to see that chemistry. Right, you have to go back to uh, the early January game against, Mo- or mid-January game, rather, against Milwaukee for the last time the Raptors finished this many possessions in a game via the pick and roll. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and yeah. that one makes okay. a lot of sense because... Drop coverage. Drop coverage. Exactly. It's if you're a team that doesn't get to the rim super well and you're facing a team that plays drop coverage no matter what you do, I think you can go in there being like, okay, this is what we're trying to exploit. This is what we're trying to do. Fred even had a couple of those nice kind of mid-range elbow pull-up attempts that you want to see a guy like that do against uh, a drop coverage. So um, there was a weird blip. Um, so the first couple games with Pirtle, the pick and roll usage was way up. And then there was an odd blip where it like completely dropped off for a couple games there. Mm. And I'm not really sure why that was because I don't think like against Detroit, for example, the win against Detroit, uh, the most recent one basically didn't use a pick and roll. The I didn't, whole game. Well, they didn't have Fred for that game. Sure. They but didn't like, have pick and roll operators. They I didn't felt like. use like anything like Jakob yeah. Pirtle had, had one possession as the role man, like where he actually got <laughs> okay, the ball right. on that the is, role. That is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. yeah right. So okay. um, anyway, there's going to be some ebb and flow here as they, they figure out the noon dynamic and, and who's closing and who's playing how many minutes. But um, the Fred and Jakob pairing, having the chemistry they do is a great sign. Um, now the next step is, okay, how do you make that a more core function of your offense without snuffing out some of what Pascal and Scotty have done really well when you didn't have that pick and roll to go to. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it feels like a stabilizing force. And I think it's, it's definitely helping Fred. It's helping the offense as a whole. Um, and by the way, I think Yak has also shown pretty good chemistry with Pascal and Scotty as well. Mm-hmm. Those two guys have each assisted him 12 times each. And then um, after that, it's Malachi for one and OG for two. So maybe other guys need to figure out how <laughs> to use Do you have those Yak? numbers in front of you still? Or no, no. I've, okay. Because no, I was going to ask. I'll, I'll look at it at the break. But Jakob assisting Scotty seems like something that's happened to fair. Like Scotty's mm. the guy who's benefiting as a cutter at least. Right, right. Uh, with Jakob's ability to either pass on the roll or, or kind of catch, turn, and survey well, on the I mean, free throw line. I think an example of that was like last night. I think the Raptors' last field goal <laughs> of the game 
Um, so this is what, middle of the third quarter? Uh, unfortunately, it was middle of the fourth quarter. Um, Pascal gets stuck in the post against a double. Scotty comes up to the free throw line to relieve him of the pressure and then immediately throws a bounce pass to Yak near the basket. Now, of course, this is Yak, you know, getting assisted by Scotty, you know, but the whole point is that, like, they're having to figure out sort of that lack of spacing, but they're passing, hopefully, because you also have all three of those guys, Siakam, Scotty, and Yak, all plus passers. Maybe they can sort of negotiate their way through the paint like they did there. But it is interesting because Siakam's um, efficiency and usage has really dropped lately. Um, the last couple of games here, I'm looking at Chicago, the Raptors won, but he was 7 of 18 from the field. Then the, the first Washington game, he was 6 of 16. Second one, he was 5 of 10. This one, he was 8, eight of 18. His free throw attempts, um, 6, 0, 5, and 2. Those are very below his season averages. Um, what are you seeing from Pascal recently? Yeah, it's something that I wanted to ask you about as much as answer okay. um, answer to you, and I, and I knew it would come up. It's uh, Yeah, the free throw attempts is really troubling, and I tend to use free throw attempts. Obviously, they're going to go up and down game to game, but I think it's a pretty good proxy for how aggressive you're being. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and, you know, how much time you're spending around the rim. So when you lay out those stats, and Pascal's shooting 42% over the last five games on 17 field goal attempts, man, I bet if we looked at the shot chart, it's a lot of that like 14 foot stuff where he's not getting all the way into the paint. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's still close enough that he can get into kind of that push shot package that he has, but not as close to the rim as you as you want to see him. I at least thought the second Washington game, he did a good job turning around and being like, you know what? This is a facilitator game for me. I, yep. I'm going to focus on the passing. And I think he only took 10 field goal attempts that game. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, he's figuring it out right now. I don't know how much of that is the new offensive dynamic. It seemed like he had pretty natural chemistry with Jakob right away. Him and Fred all obviously have had a, a natural chemistry for a long time. There's also potentially, I, I don't want to use this as an excuse, but as a reality thing, um, you know, since he came back from injury, nobody in the league has played more minutes. Oh, okay. um, I yeah. do wonder if there's a, you know, some sort of cumulative fatigue thing here. I know nobody wants to hear that since we're so far, so closely removed from the all-star break and there's only been one back-to-back -back in that. But this is a guy who missed, you know, a, a fifth of the season and is still top 20 in total minutes played on the year. Impressive. Um, I do wonder, you know, if there's a component of, of that. But also, like, it's this is not the very first time we've seen Pascal have, like, a multi-game lull like this where he's got to figure some things out. Like, there was one, uh, there was that one in December where the two Orlando games, he had one of those games he was really bad, and then the Sacramento game, he was he was shaky. Yep, the Brooklyn game, he was shaky. So um, it's not entirely new for him to, to go through a stretch like this and need to figure it out. Um, I do, I'm curious as to your take, though, to what degree that has to do with just Pascal's stuff and to what degree it has to do with, well, the offensive dynamic has shifted here at least a little bit. Oh, they're definitely shifting in the sense that they're playing way more middle pick and roll with Fred and Yak. And there's not as many downhill effects of that for Pascal, right? I think that, mm -hmm. you know, if you run that pick and roll, um, you're going to get situations where Fred's going to be open to shoot. And we do want him to pull up, especially... Um, from three, but even the mid-range area, he's shooting like 47% from 16 to the three-point line. You know, he's been really good on the mid-range shot. Other than that, he's feeding Jakob, which is excellent. Definitely want to see that happen all the time. If a third defender tags over, you know, Siakam's not necessarily that weak side shooter that really benefits from it. So that middle pick and roll with those two aren't really creating that many chances, I think, for Pascal. The other thing is Pascal can just run the same play with Jakob. It's not going to look the same. You probably force a lot more switches on Pascal to attack more ISO, but 
I mean, I think they're still just trying to figure it out a little bit. I think the two games against Washington, the matchup wasn't good. Um, they had a lot of good shot blockers in that one, so it wasn't really like Siakam should have taken Chris Tapp's one-on-one that often. Um, but, yeah, no, it's something that's worth watching, obviously, because I think, you know, I'm concerned about the free throw attempts. The, the assists have also come down as well in that stretch. Um, but, you know, I, I think on the whole, the Raptors are playing better basketball. I think Jakob definitely has brought a steadying force to the to the matchup and look listen they played well enough last night to win i just think that for mm-hmm. me looking back on it it's just it's the small details that they don't hammer it's the transition defense that they don't really do it's, it's the sloppy turnovers and against a really good team they kill you in the margins every time the raptors made a mistake the nuggets punished them for it whereas the raptors just like were almost they just didn't lack they just didn't have the focus i think to to win the game yesterday and that's unfortunate and, and like it's not like playing 48 good minutes is like not really a thing. It's something Nick Nurse has talked sure. about since he got here, right? Like that idea of playing 48 good minutes every single game is a farce. And what you're trying to get guys to do is instead of playing 30 good minutes, play 35 good minutes. And instead of playing um, three good games out of five, play four good games out of five. And like you're kind of negotiating that. One area though where it's been maddening is that transition defense where you know, I'll show you the the cleaning the glass here with the percentiles. It should not change blue to orange that much. You should have some sort of clue as yeah. to each night whether you're going to be the league's best transition defense or the league's worst transition defense, especially now that the personnel is largely the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there was uh, in the loss to Washington, some of that was maybe, well, the offense was so clunky and some of the lineup choices they made were weird yeah. and guys don't know what positions they're in, whatever. You have a team full of really versatile athletic pieces you allow your offensive players to crash the offensive glass more than most teams under the agreement that yeah you can do that because we trust you to get back in transition defense when you're playing against the detroits of the world that probably doesn't bite you that often it just turns a a easier win into a, a tougher win but against teams like denver even teams like washington in that first game um you know that's the difference between are you getting out of this play in tournament or not mm-hmm. and if they care about that which it seems like they do that's the kind of stuff that really has to tighten up on top of you know you don't do your transition defense any favors when like that stretch late in the second quarter you're coughing it up left and right and kind of you know, there was a point in the middle of the second quarter where I was like, damn, is this the best half of basketball the Raptors have played in like sure, yeah. months? And then the last like four minutes of that quarter was like, oh, here's let's uh, let's go into halftime tied instead or whatever it was. I think yeah, they were up, up slightly. Up but, three, yeah. yeah. No, they were up 10 with two minutes left and then they went into the half up three. And that's the stuff that like, again, you got to nail against a great team. But they also, I think they, they were losing and maybe they came out neutral, but non-Jokic minutes, you can't squander those. Okay, th- th- those ones were, it was a lot of like Reggie Jackson throwing up trash sure, versus you Will still, Barton and Gary Trent throwing right, up but, stuff. But if like, Gary Trent is also throwing up trash and making it, yeah, you got to win those. You got to win those minutes. And this is like, like, what have we talked about every 76ers game and playoff series over the like in this yeah. era of the Raptors? It's okay, well, you're going to lose when Joel Embiid's on the floor, but you can beat them to a comical degree when he hits the bench. That's kind of what you have to do That's fair. Uh, with the Nuggets. I know they're, they're better positioned right now with, with Thomas Bryant there now and Jamal Murray back. In stuff like that still you gotta you gotta take care of every little like you said every little advantage you could possibly get you gotta take it they won the non-Jokic minutes last night but barely yeah well I mean Reggie Jackson's a problem you know (laughs) we've always said that all right we're gonna go to a break but before we do um available now for a limited time Canadians can sink their teeth into the new chicken Big Mac featuring the iconic Big Mac goodness 
with a seasoned chicken twist. To celebrate this new iconic item, we are teaming up with McDonald's Canada to give away a $200 McDonald's gift card to one of our listeners. All you have to do is text the code word that we are about to give you to 59590 and you will be automatically entered into this awesome giveaway. The code word is Chicken Big Mac. Three words, Chicken Big Mac. Text Chicken Big Mac to 59590 and you could be walking away with a $200 McDonald's gift card. Just had one of these for lunch and um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's, it's unique. It's pretty good. All right, so we're going to take a break. I've been your host, Willu, and you've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Have you checked out Bet Rivers yet? Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about Bet Rivers Sportsbook award winning customer service. It's a whole new game with Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook. Must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1 866 531 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sports and Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Liu. Continue to be joined by Blake Murphy. And before we get back to the Raptors and the Nuggets and all the nastiness, um, there was another game that took place in the GTA uh, last night, and Orrin Weisfeld, Ryder at large, was on hand to take in the Raptors 905, beating the G League Unite. Uh, Ignite, sorry, Unite. Um, Orrin, how you doing, man? Hey, man. Hey, guys. I'm good. I uh, got a dishwasher today, so just feeling on top of the world today. Feeling really good. Wow. Okay. You know, I wasn't Big expecting names. that from you, Orin. Different. Yeah, you didn't expect me to have a dishwasher. I did. You know what? You did not strike me as a dishwasher, however. I, I don't know. I I needed one. This was the first time in my life without one, and it's been a it's been a rough few months. I gotta wow, say. Wow, this guy had to work a sponge. Um. Okay, so <laughs> have to ask you yesterday. So you were on hand to see Scoot Henderson, who is the consensus number two pick, um, in the upcoming draft uh, as part of the ignite. Um, what did you think? Yeah, first of all, this is embarrassing, but it was my first Raptors 905 game ever, and oh. I was pleasantly impressed. Yeah, I saw, I I saw they seated you courtside, too. They gave you the, the premium access. Okay. They gave me the Blake Murphy treatment for sure. Uh, Kelsey's got my seat now. Oh, okay. So all right. it's, uh, I thought they were going to retire it, uh, put my notebook in the rafters, but I, I guess not. Yeah, with your little yeah shout out to Kelsey, though. She she hooked us up. And uh, definitely shout out to Raptors 905 PR. They, the the seating is great, mm. uh, definitely. But honestly, all the seating is great, even just for fans, because it's a pretty small arena. And yeah, I know it wasn't a normal 905 game because the Ignite were in town. Leonard Miller was in town. Um, Scoot was in town. It's a big game. But right. the energy was really good. I thought just the production value on the whole you know, game was really, really top notch for a G League game. So I was overall really impressed with that. Really impressed with the 905. I don't know if we want to get to them later, but yeah, Scoot impressions. Um, it was an interesting Scoot game. Basically, he had border problems that day, so he got held up at the border. Mm. He didn't get into Toronto until late. He didn't okay. start for the first time this season, uh, which was weird. He started in the second half, but like he didn't start the game. They basically brought him in once things really went downhill in the first few minutes of the game. 
Um, but so, so that's like a little caveat, I guess, with his game. He had a slow start, like started 0 for 6 on the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but his start was very like pure point guard-esque. Like I think the biggest thing that stood out to me with Scoot, and like I'm not going to try to be a draft analyst or a scout here. That's not what I do. But last time I watched Scoot was when, probably like most people, when he played against Wemby in those mm-hmm. two games. Um, and in those games, it was really a lot of Wemby versus Scoot show. They both had the ball in their hands a lot. They were both being super aggressive. They knew the eyes were on them, and that's kind of the games didn't matter. They were exhibition games, so that was kind of the whole point. In this game, Scoot was almost entirely off ball. Like he would bring the ball up the court, get off of it, and he did not stop running. That was the biggest thing that stood out to me. Like he's not a Trey Young type who runs a million pick and rolls, and when he doesn't have the ball, he just stands there. Like he is much more like Steph Curry in that regard, where he's just getting off the ball, cutting, running, again, cutting, running. And obviously, even though he's not like a shooter like Steph, he just demands so much attention. He's at the top of every scouting report. So, uh, like, the the Ignite got a lot of easy buckets because the 905 would just have two players go to scoot mm-hmm. on, like, a cut or a dribble handoff, and then they would get an open three or an open backdoor cut. So that was probably the biggest thing that stood out for me was um, how unselfish he is and just how willing he is to move off the ball. Uh, what do you think of Leonard Miller? Yeah, Miller is still pretty raw, I would say. Like, yeah, that was my takeaway watching him at. Um, we saw him in person quite closely at uh, the tournament in in, Tor- in Toronto in the summertime. Why am I forgetting what the global tournament? jam? Global jam. Global there jam. we go. Presented by Sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, come on. It's like you didn't even uh, Bro, see I was the there so many of those games. I don't know why I was you weren't watching on TV. Uh, the feature I did the voiceover for about the Miller brothers. Come on. Oh, okay, all right. Maybe I got to ask both of you guys about Leonard Miller. But anyway, Oren, you were there. Yeah, yeah, I also saw him at uh, Global Gym. Uh, he's definitely improved. Like, I thought after Global Gym, he would struggle in the G League because, mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's a 19-year-old in the G League, and, and that's a really good league. But he's averaging a double-double, so he's clearly doing some stuff right. Like, he's not the type of guy who has plays drawn up for him. He's just basically fitting in where he can get it, offensive rebounds, cuts, um, that sort of stuff. And, and he's averaging like 17 and 10 doing that. So I think that's really impressive on its own. But yeah, I was even talking to his coach before the game about him. And, and he was saying like, he's going to have to be a role player in the NBA. He's going to have to be the type of guy that switches one through five. He has the body for it, not yet the de- defensive instincts for it, but he definitely has the body and kind of cuts, rebounds, transition guy. He's very Raptors-y in that regard. He's not a shooter. He's not I was going to say, come on down. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if we need more of them, but uh, yeah. yeah. So, Oren, you've gotten this up-close look now, and, you know, I've watched from, I haven't been able to get to any games, but this is year two in the in the G for Scoot, and we're a couple years into the entire uh, Ignite program. We've got some banger prospects lined up for next year's uh, Ignite program as well. I believe uh, four guys projected to go in the in the top 45 by John Giovanni uh, of ESPN. So um, this is at least until they change the age minimum uh, in the next CBA. This is is something that 
we're going to continue seeing. When you look at a guy like Scooter or Miller and you try to project these guys ahead to their NBA roles, Oren, what do you make of the Ignite in general as far as, you know, we can leave the the capitalism side of it and the financials and G League salary versus NIL out of it, but just in terms of preparing these guys for the NBA, like, do you, when you watch Scoot in this environment against superstars like Jeff Doughton Jr., who he wouldn't get to play against in college, um, do you feel that this is doing a better job preparing these guys for the NBA um, than, you know, a, a turn through college might for, for someone like Scoot? Yeah, it's interesting. I think even more, uh, like, illuminating than watching the game was I, I talked to Niall, or Ignite head coach Jason Hart before the game for a story about Miller, and he was very blunt about being like, this program is not here to win G League championships. It's here to surround the best prospects with the best kind of system for them to develop. And talking about Miller, he said, like, I, I asked why has Miller gotten so much better as the season's gone on? And he said, because he's been allowed to play through mistakes. So for a prospect like Miller, I think in college, you can't play through those same type of mistakes. You're just not going to get playing time, right? Like every game matters so much in college. Whereas in this environment, a more raw guy like Leonard Miller, um, I think he has benefited from a being able to play through mistakes in a system that kind of he's going to get a lot of PT no matter what he does. And B, um, there's always vets on the Ignite, which is kind of an under-talked about program, right? Mm -hmm. Like they yeah. always have these 30-year-olds who are like NBA guys. Um, they had Amir Johnson just on the Jared Jack recently. They got uh, Pooh Jeter and um, Eric Mika right now with mm -hmm. them. John Jacobs. Yeah. Sure, yeah. I think that's important too. I think that's important in the NBA. I think it's kind of like a lost um, art in a way where some teams have just stopped valuing having like that's I mean, we all know what's happening in Memphis, right? Like Steven Adams is their oldest player. He's like 29, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's like Houston. They don't really have any vets like there. You can go down the list of these young teams that just no longer have vets. I know this is an NBA aside, but I do think that's an important thing just for young guys in this situation first year playing pro to learn like what it's like so that the nba isn't as much as of like a, a eyes wide open moment you know because i think it's really overwhelming for a lot of rookies coming out of college especially if you go to a smaller college and then you get to the nba and there's just all these eyes on you and cameras and all this money and everything it's crazy so i think having those vets there to help you through that process and to kind of let you know what it's going to be like I also think that's helpful for like a prospect as good as Scoot, though. I think he would probably succeed no matter where he went. Yeah, right? I agree. I agree. No, he's definitely got an NBA ready body. Um, and yeah, no, he, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's going to tackle some guys when he gets to the league next year. Yeah. Couldn't handle Jeff Doughton Jr. Though. I, I know. Oh man, we got the world's number one. We got to talk about it. Yeah. No, we got to talk about I want to give you guys one did. minute to talk about Jeff Doughton. Yeah. Before or, I hang or up I've been, I've talked about Jeff Doughton Jr. Just about every time I've come on the Raptor show this uh, year. Um, obviously agent? he's not a, uh, no, no, that's the next career. Oh. Um, obviously he's not playing with the Raptors right now. We saw him in, in little bits there. Um, what did you learn getting to watch him up close? for that 905 team I, I watched the game from home and I have some thoughts on it but I think you know one of the things you probably learned from going to a 905 game is you get a pretty intimate look at the team dynamics and, and how these things work uh more so than we do at Raptors games absolutely it's it's hard to fit what I learned about him into a minute because it was a spectacular Jeff Doughton game like first of all he took the scoot matchup 
very personally mm. in that he I knew this that. was a big game. Love he that. dominated him from the start. He was better than him all game. Um, I learned how much Jeff Doughton talks. Like he is constantly chirping. Whenever a big guy would try to post him up, uh, he would just yell, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> oh, man. And he's hitting them with the Muppet voice too because he, he got a particular voice. So that's got to sound even <laughs> yeah. worse. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And, and he played so hard that really those post-ups weren't working. He had three steals. He, nice. he was lighting it up from three. He was lighting it up from the mid-range. He was phenomenal. And I was just sitting there with Samson Fogg from Raptors Republic, and we were like, why is this guy in Mississauga right now? Like, that's a whole other story I don't know if we have time for, but he has proved everything he can in the G League. Um, yeah. I don't quite understand why he's there. I think he should be with the with the big team right now on this trip, even if they're not going to play him. Um, he's just too good for the G League. Fair. I agree. I agree. I think the one thing he could maybe do to help himself longer term is, um, you know, he hits a lot of tough twos and he's been very efficient down there. But I would almost guarantee when you are a fringy guy and you're 25 and it's uh, a couple years in the G League, the first thing a lot of NBA people are looking at on your page is the three-point percentage Mm -hmm. uh, and the three-point volume. Will, you were telling me mm-hmm. the other the other week that he looks pretty good in shooting sessions when he's going with Joe Wieskamp, who oh, yeah, yeah. is a shooter. Um, so maybe, yeah, turn some of those two. This isn't an analytics play when I say turn some of those twos into threes. This is a get you your next contract play. Right, right. This is Agent This is agent Murphy speaking. Yeah. No, I can't wait. I can't wait for you guys to, to, to collectively start up and represent Jeff. But, uh, Oren, I appreciate you, man. Go enjoy that dishwasher. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, first load. First load's going into All right, guys. that's enough, Root man. for me. That's Pray enough. for me. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Oren. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Oh, brother. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I really wanted to to cut off Oren because I wanted to get through this little bit of research. Um, and I just wanted to talk about it because this is probably something that we could have talked about in the first thing, which is the Raptors, they just really struggle in the fourth quarter. And, um, you know, when you look at their overall crunch time numbers, in games that have qualified for clutch scenarios, which is plus or minus five points in the last five minutes, the Raptors are eight and 20 this season, puts them around the likes of, you know, Detroit, Orlando, et cetera, et cetera. Um, when you look at their recent performances, just since January 19th, okay, the Raptors lost to Denver, Utah, Utah, Phoenix, Boston, Minnesota. They also lost to Golden State, Washington, and Cleveland, but those are blowouts. I'm not going to talk about those. In the Denver game that we saw last night, 35 to 25 in the fourth quarter. In the last Utah loss, 39 to 20 lost in the fourth quarter. The last Utah game before that, 35 to 26, they lost in the fourth quarter. The Phoenix game, 32 and 22 in the fourth quarter in favor of Phoenix. In the Boston game, 25 to 19 in favor of Boston. And in the Minnesota game, 27 to 17. Right there, I'm highlighting in just the last like month, six weeks, you know, um, six losses or seven losses by the Raptors where they held leads in the fourth quarter and they ultimately blew it. And because of the fact that they just don't close games well. And, you know, I think for me, Blake, I just like, how do we, how do the Raptors close out games stronger? That's, that's what I would really like to take away after that Denver game is just, I didn't feel like they closed a game out strong. Yes. The officiating was very, you know, unfavorable, but how do they do that? Because that's a pattern that is on the Raptors and no one else. And, and it's something that, you know, we said this coming into this year. We talked about it last year. And for all the 
you know, the moments where the half-court offense has overperformed at times, um, this was always the concern, right? You don't have a lot of spacing. Um, you have size, but size also tends to limit your spacing to some degree if everyone's cutting into the same spaces. Um, you know, you have Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. and OG and OB who can shoot, but that's not quite the same level of spacing when, you know, first of all, if those three are spaced out, that means two of Siakam, Barnes, Pirtle are... are operating and not your your point guard as a lead guy some of it is just random where like they they ran the hammer play yesterday and, and og had cut out of the corner and mm-hmm. fred passed it to no one yeah. like some of that stuff is just attention to detail and communication that you shouldn't have with the level of continuity this group has um i think it's like it's not perfect defensively but i i feel strongly that this is a an offensive issue and it's just kind of a magnified version of the half court struggles we've talked about for uh two years now if you if instead of using clutch you use pbp stats as uh high leverage and very high leverage filter which instead of having like a random cutoff uses your win probability at a certain okay, point in the sure. game um only houston and san antonio two teams who are aggressively aggressively tanking score worse in those high leverage scenarios that the raptors do i'm not surprised because yeah even just on the nba stats right now it says 26th in offensive rating um fifth in clutch defense which is good that's what keeps the raptors actually relatively average in crunch time scenarios because of their defense but their offense is really bad and no i mean it's interesting because i think one thing you can do on the stats page is look through you know whether you're playing from ahead or playing from behind in that stretch Mm -hmm. and you know it the one thing that i've noticed in in the header behind because everyone else is mostly the same right to be honest like on the whole when you look at the numbers scotty barnes is the most clutch points this season at 65 for the raptors then it's 58 for fred 56 for pascal 44 for gary 49 for og um the shooting percentages definitely favor Scotty. He's the only one of the bunch that's shooting above uh, 50% from the field. But the interesting thing is from ahead, when the Raptors are protecting a lead, Scotty is shooting 6 of 18 from the field. And from behind, he's shooting 19 of 33. Everyone else has pretty much the same splits within some variance. But that one is quite sharp. What do you make of that? I don't really know what to make of that because, you know, first of all, it's it's backwards to what you'd expect. You'd expect offense to maybe be not easier when you're ahead, but you think of when, you know, if I'm ahead by a possession or two, I'm putting out my best defensive lineup to protect that lead. Yes, of course. Not the version where if you're ahead, the offense suddenly uh, gets easier. So it's a little curious. I think it's probably mostly just noise. Um, Yeah, I I don't really have a good explanation for it. Like there's, if it was, if he was average in some scenarios and bad in some scenarios, I could maybe come to, uh, some sort of explanation, but the fact that he's elite at one and yeah. not very good at the other uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I think it's probably just 18 field goal attempts, pretty random. No, that's fair. The, the concerning part is Pascal and Fred have been shooting around 30% in both those scenarios, and I think that those two being your primary creators, um, you know, it's it's undeniable. Like, the offense really does fall down on them. And this is, it's not, it hasn't been across the board, like, with no ups, but... It's not the first time we've talked about Siakam's numbers in crunch time situations over the years. Or Fred, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that does it for us today. I've been your host, Will Lou, and you've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and rate and review the show. Thanks again to Blake Murphy, Oren Weisfeld, our board producer, Derek Randale, and Jennifer Rowland for helping with the YouTube stream. And we'll be back tomorrow.